Hispania 82, one day at a time. Day 8, we think we lose track as we go. You know this, you followed us before, it gets a little bit head-wrecking. One game begets another, you think you know what you're looking at, and then you stop and think, why am I watching football games from 1982? And then Mick Foley comes up with another story, and you're like, that's why. How are you, Mick? Good. I actually think some of the stories I have today, Rob, this could be it. This could be the day we get sued. Ooh. Yeah. There's a statute of limitations on work. I'll get my coat. <laughs> no, I mean, if anybody's like, if anybody's kind of casually flicking through this, I wonder what kind of a class for podcast this is. Well, look, this could be a collector's item because this could be the fucking last one. So, Seriously, though, are you going to hide? You're going to make if you're going to hide some really, really juicy, like le- legally, you know, precarious mm. stuff. Day eight of a 22 episode podcast following a World Cup from 40 years ago has to be one of the safest places on yeah. the planet to hide it. You, you, it's where I, I thought it out a little bit, wouldn't you? I think I've thought this out just a little bit, a little bit. Karen, I think we're safe. How are you? Hola, Rob. Uh, I'm just Googling errors and omission insurance here. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. I'll be putting all the blame on someone in particular. And uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll have this so couched in in uh, sort of <laughs> trap doors and, and, and escape hatches will be fine. You're grand. Don't worry about it. You're fine. That's right. me with my nice little stories from Shoot, which, That's you lovely. know, while, while inaccurate and possibly the Wikipedia of its age, yeah. are not going to be legally liable for what, it. Basically, basically what, what, when, when we get on to talking about the West German team today, I basically would like to have the opening bars of Sunshine of Your Love playing in the background, if possible. I think that would be about right. A scene from like you know that movie Uncommon Valor in my head was that a 1982 movie? <laughs> Gene Hackman playing yeah. all the POWs from Vietnam and sailors dancing to Sunshine of My Love on top of the hill. Yeah, it was a lot of people Uncommon Valor right now. Oh, they are. Yeah. What the fuck are they talking about? Right. Just football today. England played against Czechoslovakia. I think we're leading with that. It was one of the early afternoon games. West Germany against Chile. Oh boy, were the West Germans in a bit of bother. And Spain, the hosts, a little bit shook by their own opening game, taking on Yugoslavia, who played out in that very dull draw with Northern Ireland. So we probably weren't feeling all that good themselves. That was the evening game and it was epic. But we have so many stories for you. Uh, I don't know where to begin. Just join us for six hours of mad talk. Kieran. Uh, let's start in England, Czechoslovakia, will we? Let's oh, do I. that. England 2, Czechoslovakia 0. Yeah, take uh, yeah, so let's, let, it from wherever Why don't we start with old England there, Rob? Ooh, right. Against Czechoslovakia. Lovely stuff. Uh, yeah, old England Qualifying for the group stage... With time to spare as such, second game and they're through. Yeah. And, and they could have won this game comfortably. Mm. Um, now, I mean, they could have been out the gate by half time. They had that many chances, but it takes till very late in the game. Is it about the 63rd minute that Trevor Francis scores his first goal? In... Yeah. Do we it, is, it is late. We did. It is late. Lost, and, they get, and, they, and they get a couple of goals. And the, the, the two goals come in about the space of five or six minutes, don't they? Yeah, like they're the the first is uh, from a corner. Uh, Ray Wilkins whips it in, 
And Trevor Francis scores his first goal in two years. One of the problems that England no had all through qualifying was the potency of their forward line. And Trevor Francis was one of those players that was struggling. He'd missed the European Championships in 1980 because of an Achilles injury. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, he'd gotten a goal in one of the friendlies in the lead-in or maybe even the home championship match now that I think of it. So, you know, he he was beginning to get his groove back. And and this is a good finish, actually. It, it's it, made all the more easy by the fact that he gets his assist from the Czech goalkeeper. Oh, or, my God, yeah. He could be a Slovak goalkeeper. Who knows? He's, oh, yeah, he's a Slovakian goalkeeper. He is. It, it's, a, it's a corner. It's actually a good corner from Ray Wilkins. But he just drops it. He fumbles it. He drops it. And Francis finishes it well, yes. Nice, nice finish close in. But I mean, it's what they needed. They were playing they were playing well and they were by far the better team, making loads of chances in the first half. Um, but it just wasn't. chances that Kevin Keegan and Trevor Brooking might have scored? Yeah, maybe. Mm. I have to say again, I have to say again, just to wheel it around, um, Graham Rick's got a lot of credit in the reports after the French game. I wasn't that overly impressed with him. Only that the, they kind of moved him in field against France and that kind of shut France down in the second half, all right. But again, I thought he was at, up to his old, giving the ball away constantly business. And he's the guy who's replacing uh, who's replacing Brooking in this team. So again, he's the weak link for me. But other than that, the rest of them are grooving. Like, I mean, Brian Robson goes off with his customary World Cup injury uh, at half yes. time, and Glenn Hoddle comes in and he plays quite all right. You know, he's moving on. But by, by, by that stage, the Czechoslovaks are quite broken. I was looking back, actually, to try and put this into some kind of context. How good is this for England? Like, they've won their first two games. They've beaten France and Czechoslovakia. Two serious teams. Yeah, it's Five like, goals for four. One goal against. against like, any yeah. team ever start a World Cup like no, that? No. I went back and checked, Rob. And I can Ooh. say up to, certainly up to the last World Cup, uh, no. They are, it is the best opening to a tournament that England have ever had. Just, I mean, they've had draws. I mean, they've been unbeaten. Uh, like, even if we look at, think, think about, okay, they've got Kuwait in their next match, and I think we can safely say they ain't, they're not going to lose that. Um, like, even if, you know, in other in other World Cups, they've gone unbeaten in groups, but they've never they've never started this well. And and they're playing a very nice brand of football. You can see little little flaws and maybe little things, but overall, I mean, Steve Coppel's going very, very well out in the wing. And I actually think Terry Butcher and Phil Thompson, that's 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 their partnership. I think they're very good in this game, particularly and Terry they're Butcher. Very, they're very confident as a group. Um, like Ryan Robson in his shoot column after this uh, did give the explanation that. It was, and I'll just read from it just to be certain, but uh, it was a groin injury mm, that he yes. had to be substituted for, and it was more of a precautionary thing, and if required, he could miss the Kuwait game as well. But he's being hailed as England's superstar and kind of playing it down in that faux, uh modesty way that you yeah. can, you know. A superstar question mark not yet being the headline <laughs> but he, it, it is informative of how they are because he, he mentions in that article about his own journey of getting into the England team and that he you know instead of progressing through the under 21s my injuries held me back which is why at 25 you could say I'm a little bit of a late starter 
The day after the France game, I had other things on my mind than my two goals. Denise gave birth to our second daughter, Charlotte, and I decided that I'd like to take home a World Cup winner's medal to celebrate. Up, 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 up. So far, only Brazil have looked as good or better than England. Although the, now the competition has sorted itself out, the early form isn't necessarily a good guide. Well, there you are. I mean, you know, they often they often talk about the, the hype that follows England about the place, you know. Where was the hype coming there? It was coming from right inside of the camp. Like, Robson could have had a hat-trick by halftime in this game. Easily had a hat-trick. Like, uh, let's see... After twenty five odd minutes, he missed he missed a chance from point blank range. Like they've they got a lot of they're getting a lot of change from long throws and corners and stuff like that. I would imagine Don Howe works. I was about there. to say Don Howe has got them well drilled on set pieces. Mm. So like long throw from Kenny Sampson, they use Terry Butcher as a decoy and uh Paul Mariner actually flicks it on and Robson misses it from point blank range. Um there's a lot of ones, another there's an even better chance about ten minutes later. Um, Graham Ricks crosses it and Robson has a free header in front of goal and he puts it very badly wide now he gets a bang uh, as well in that in, in that incident and that's I think that I don't think it's the bang that takes him off but it's a, it's a, it's a heavy blow anyway and then he has another chance close, another long throw from Kenny Sampson he tries to force it in just before half time so like he's getting into the box he's doing all the stuff that we we, we kind of associate with Brian Robson in time but the whole team I mean this was this was probably an easier game than they expect because the Czechs are proving to be a bit of a disappointment in this tournament. They're not really, they're not really bringing anything to the show. Yeah, it's like, it's mm, this is the European champions of '76, Kieran. Yeah, and um, you know that, that like, well, when you say it that way, Rob, you begin mm. to see like it is the European champions of '76, but this is 1982. Mm. Yeah, uh, and we've moved on, and I mean. One of the things about this England team, and we discussed it on the last episode, they stuttered very badly in qualifying. There was no potency to their forward line. They lost to Norway. They lost to Switzerland. I still don't know how they qualified. All I ever hear is how bad they were. What happened? Everyone else was equally bad. they They were thoroughly reliant on Romania to get results for them and Switzerland towards the end. Yeah. And that's, they kind of slipped in. Like there's a, a quote about Ron Greenwood, you know, they had come in. They might have come in through the back door, but they were now firmly on the the front steps. This yeah. kind of thing after this game, and I mean, Greenwood himself, little less than a year before this, like when they had had that defeat against Switzerland, mm. had gone to the FA officials that were on the trip and told them he was not resigning, retiring from football, yeah, and that he would oversee them in the away game against Hungary and then the FA would have time to get a new manager in place who could still qualify the team. Now, they go to Hungary, they win the game. On the plane on the way back to Luton, he tells the players, shuts the curtains to the press who are out the back, tells the players that he is going to retire. A few of them get up around him, ah, no, Ron, don't go, please, you know, we love you, all that stuff. He's still not convinced when they land. The FA have the press there waiting because they potentially could do a press briefing. And literally at the baggage carousel, there's still players saying, Ron, please don't do this. The FA official arrives in and he says, no, I don't mind that. That was rubbish. I've changed my mind. I'm going to stick at it. Mm-hmm. And it's proved right now. You know, they're they're through to the next phase. Like we talked about it again the last day. This is the first England team to qualify for the World Cup. 
1962. So yeah. a full 20 years later, they're starting to show yeah. some form and some solidity. And, uh, you know, as Trevor Francis getting that goal after two years of yeah very few scores. And he could have got a couple. Like the second comes about because of a cross from Paul Mariner. Yeah. It's intended for him, but... Well, oh god! Well, it's just it's, an, another mess. This is a bad. This is like oh, yeah. such a bad old yeah. world. But it's just like when a team's not clicking and gelling. Yeah. Oh, Barmoss are doing that. They were yeah. too arrogant against Kuwait, and it it spills over into this. I reckon, Mick. Yeah, Barmoss is, is the defender trying to block it, and he ends up just diverting a pass to keeper. And funny enough, actually, Paul Mariner tr- tries to claim it afterwards. Because um, he's trying to keep a run of uh, consecutive appearances for England with goals going, and also he's got an eye on the old uh, top goal scorer at the World Cup. Do you know what the prize, by the way, was for uh, being top goal scorer at this World Cup? It's kind of kind of cool. Uh, you would Go the on. top the top scorer gets a signed lithograph of Salvador Dali's painting Goal. So now Ooh, it's not bad. Kind of cool. I'm sure. Whoever gets the golden boot will be greatly appreciative of that fine piece <laughs> of serious. No, I, wonder, I wonder where Paul Mariner was planning on hanging that now. Strikers are connoisseurs, I have no doubt, um, of something. Maybe not art. But anyways, enough of that. Hey, here's one for you, lads, just in the, in the Daily Mirror little side stories. The father of Czech striker Peter Yanaka. Hope I got that right because I struggled with Snap. my Found that one and shoot as well. Oh, here we go. Cycled all the way from his hometown in Bruno to watch his son play in Bilbao. That is by car these days, 20 hours, 16 days by foot. But Google won't tell me what it is by cycle, but I can imagine it's it's a long way. I do have to become concerned, and listeners to an earlier iteration of One Day at a Time will recall that it was a Czechoslovakian goalkeeper oh. who drove from London to the That's 1990 right. World Cup. Clearly unusual forms of transport were a thing in Czechoslovakia yes. at the time. Ludo McCluskill, wasn't it? He drove, That's right. He was at West Ham. That's right. He drove a, was it a higher car? He drove a higher, a higher car. car. Yeah, we went, <laughs> I remember we tracked down the... the the higher car company in East London. That's right, that's right. Yeah, it was because you got to be sickened when you spend, what, the guts of three, four weeks on the bike and you see that game. Turn that, I'd say, can you imagine the conversation afterwards? You're a disgrace. You're an absolute disgrace. I wouldn't cross the road to watch it. Well, let's cycle for about four weeks, but I wouldn't do it again. (laughs) Actually, what's worth to mention here is good old Dr. Joe. Oh, yeah. uh, Dr. Yeah. Joe Venglas, the, the, the Czechoslovakian coach, who was a bit of an Anglophile when it came to uh, when it came to coaching and whatnot. He he was very good friends with Ron Greenwood, uh, right. and he apparently had a gift for Greenwood after the game. And someone in the press asked Greenwood, you know, "What what was it that Dr. Joe had for you?" And Greenwood got very frosty about the whole thing. It was like something's some things remain private. Between. Yeah, he was he was close friends with the Scottish management as well. Like yeah. he seems to have been, he seems to have used his overseas coaching um, seminars by the looks things to to network quite well. He, Someone else that I, and it's intrigued me because he's not deemed to be a great England player, but Mick Mills yeah. is the person that benefits from Kevin Keegan's injury in these games and he's the captain of England yeah and at the time he, he he was quoted as saying it's strange you know two months ago I would have been happy just to get into the squad 
I've won close on 40 caps over a 10-year period. But I've never been a regular. Here I am now, skippering the side in the World Cup finals. I can't believe any other player has won as many caps as I have, yet never been a regular choice. At some time, he must have been able to feel safe, not me. I've never been able to do that, and I can't even now. I'm captain only because Kevin Keegan is injured. But being skipper doesn't help me stay in the team. I must play well to keep my place. Now, McManus was 33 at this stage. Yeah, yeah. and he he's... He's a very solid defender so far in this competition. Like he's not, he's not a fullback getting up and down the flanks, whipping crosses and or anything like that. He doesn't have Kenny Sansom's long throw. He's not taking corners. He's a very solid defender in a defense that's playing very well at the moment. So I'm sure he's, you know, good for him. I mean, it's kind of a nice, uh, it's a nice old story, you know. Um, and obviously, look at my memory of McMill's. Goes back, you know, goes back a few years before when he was picking up the UEFA Cup as captain for Ipswich. So it's not like he's he's you know a kind of a no, he's he's not a he's not a journeyman no. you know, by any manner or means. Not at all, not at all. Um, but uh, no, I, another little interesting little connection actually between just just to finish off on Doctor Joe, um, he would have spent time with Greenwood and uh, Bill Shankly and Harry Catterick of Everton when Everton would have won the league in the early 70s. He was fascinated with English defensive play. He reckoned Czechoslovakia were good to go uh, offensively, but defensively he thought the English had a lot to teach them. Um, and of course he ends up he ends up being the Aston Villa. He ends up being the first non-English manager in the first division, manages Villa, and who happens to be his assistant, only Peter With, who's on the bench in this game. No, they wouldn't have known each other, but there you go. Eight years later, they're on the sideline together for Villa, which is kind of one of those things that the type of people who listen to these podcasts would be fascinated with. Here's just linking back to Ron Greenwood, Kieran. In in the uh, mirror, uh, that day's mirror, the day after the game, uh, there was a story that Ron Greenwood is to stay on with the English Football Association in a part-time advisory capacity when he retires as England manager. It's been emphasised he will play no part in the future running of the national side. But FA chairman... Well, I, Bert- I guess they would have had to make that clear because one of the things, and we discussed it for the France game, is that he... He was very much about bringing other coaches in. So he'd effectively acted as mentor to mm. Bobby Robson in this transaction transition period. And I'd say yeah. I'd say there was a concern. Well, if he's going upstairs, what's he doing? Like there was probably a concern of the Busby Franco Farrell type thing developing yeah. within yeah. the FA. Um and also his closeness, as we have discussed again, to you know, FA Mandarins because of the manner in which he came up. You know, through Oxford, in, into club coaching, being involved with West Ham all those years. So I'd say that that was probably something that they needed to get out publicly at the time is that, look, yeah, he is going to be hanging around, but he's not going to be whispering in Bobby Robson's ear. Yeah. No, he would be available when and if needed, but though not in a full-time capacity. After all, he has earned his rest. And they also said, we have also reached an agreement on a pension with Ron, yeah. and he is as pleased as we are. <laughs> God, that's all very happy, isn't and it? Look great. I'm delighted from. I'm delighted from. And you know, actually, what was in, you know what was impressive about England as well in this match? Was that they, like, they were making chances. They weren't taking them. They weren't, mm. oh, just wasn't going in there. They didn't panic. Like, they, this ground now... Like, they're back at Bilbao again, same venue as they had for the France game. It's covered in Union Jacks. Like, there are no checks 
or Slovaks in the crowd, really. It mm-hmm. is. It's a home game. It's what's it like to lose a war Argentina all over the place. There's a kind of a raggedy atmosphere to the whole thing. Um, but, the, you know, and the, the tension is there because they're waiting for them to score, score. But they don't panic. They keep going and eventually they force the mistakes and they get the goals, you know. Uh, funny you mentioned that uh, because in the shoot sideline piece where they've got about uh, Petra Yanek's father, um, they mentioned that while he might have cycled, only two coach loads wow. of fans had been ah. able to attend. Like, uh, I suppose when you think about it, it's a clo- pretty close society at the time, so they're not going to be letting yeah. people all march out of the country. No, no. Yeah, look, it, it, was, we, yeah. it was it was it was a kind of a th- it was a kind of a st- it was of the style of the time. Like if you were watching a, a game involving an Eastern European team. By and large, they didn't bring anybody, whether it was a club team or an international team. Yeah. If you were, you know, if, if if there was a Western European team playing, they were going to bring all the uh, all all the fans. I came across a thing actually in the newspapers that just to put England's form into context, and Brian Robson was saying there, a Spanish computer was charged with doing some data crunching, right, mm-hmm. uh, based on the first dozen games of the World Cup to tell us who was going to make the last four. And who was going to make the final? Would you like to go up against the computer and see can you pick the last four and his based, final? Based on what we've seen so far. Based on what we've seen so far. And keep in mind it's a computer. Yeah. A Spanish so it's computer. Genius. It's 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 infallible. It's Commodore 64 and all like it's it's a, it's, it's, it's it is. El Commodore 64. El Commodoro 64. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, go on. Give me your last four. Ooh. Mm. Mm, this is difficult. But Brazil are in there, obviously. Well, yes, Brazil. Okay, one. Clearly. I, I, I'm going with um, Algeria. Uh, no. <laughs> they're all, I I'll, give you a clue, I'll give you a clue because we'll, we'll be here forever. Um, they're all fairly mainstream nations. There's no... Northern no, no, the, Look, we, we ourselves would be talking up Argentina, Brazil at this stage. Yes, correct. Uh, West Germany. No. no, West Germany lost. Well, yeah, they lost. So I suppose that affects the computer reading. It does. France Italy. lost, Italy. they're gone. Italy, no. So you got and Brazil. You, you got Brazil and England. Brazil, Argentina, England, England and one more. One well, more. So far. This is a bit of a curveball, I'll be honest. I'm not sure what happened to computer at this moment. I'm thinking someone might have given it a kick. Spain? Yes. No. Bob, someone needs well, to give you a, a kick. I'll say this though. They got a bit lucky to come back against Yugoslavia, but by God, they played like at 100 miles an hour. We'll, yeah. get, to that. we'll get to that later. And the, yeah. final, mm. the final accord of the computer is going to be Brazil versus Spain. So strap yourselves in, ladies. That's what, that's, that's, that's what we've got coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Meanwhile, the El Salvador computer has El Salvador in the final against Honduras. So that should be a <laughs> it's going to be a high-scoring affair. High-scoring. They have to turn a lot around here, but you never know. Speaking <laughs> of computers, um, and again, I'm getting geeky on the old TV graphics. Yeah. But there, there was a flourish in our next game when yeah. the team graphics came up for uh, Germany versus Chile as the teams came up it was initially kind of a white outline of each word or name uh, yeah, just gonna then animated red here. which would have been pretty revolutionary for the time <laughs> for a pair oh, of I'm so pants. glad we're tapping into this expertise carry the one 
Yeah. When is the tax deadline? Nice. Is he stopped? Is he stopped yet, Rob? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Graphics. Graphics. White things. The only time you ever talk about graphics to do with a World Cup is Italia 19. That's the end of it. All other graphics don't matter. Enough of that. And and right now you're going, why is he talking about something eight years in the future? Lads, we better move on. England are going super strong. Kevin Keegan is a story that I keep teeing up and saying, not yet. It's not he's yet. In, but he's in the stand. He's in the stand for this yeah. game. And he's trying to come up with a way of fixing his problem. And that creates quite the story in the World Cup of stories. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Moving on. Game number two of the day. West Germany 4, Chile 1. Oh, all right. So West Germany are absolutely back to the wall. You can't lose this one. And if you just, if you want to see where West Germany up for this game, watch, I'd say, 82 seconds of it. And then you know why they won. Because they lamped down about four Chileans. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's like that Roy Keane tackle in the Dutch game about 20 years ago. It was positively dangerous stuff. Crazy. Yeah. I think it was just, let's not be too concerned about where the ball is. Let's just make sure that they fear us from yep. the outset. Yep. Oh my God. It's just, yeah, hacking down. Like I have my, my, my name for the day is Wolfgang Dremler because my God, as enforcers go in this World Cup, whew, that guy just doesn't, doesn't know where the ball is. I'm not sure he ever has ever seen a ball. Spot the ball competitions <laughs> do not suit Wolfgang Dremler. Well, perhaps Mick might have another theory. Perhaps they've, uh, maybe they can't see the ball. <laughs> because, uh, go on. You know, well, they seem to have about the legal. a no, very <laughs> unorthodox preparation for the tournament, Michael. I feel that, I feel that this is something we should have known before the Algerian game, to be honest, because we spent a lot of time uh, on that episode when we were talking about West Germany, Algeria, <laughs> giving out about their arrogance and the fucking those pesky Germans and so on. Are they not, high? Not really. Well, I think they might have been high now. Now, <laughs> you know, from what I know, from what, yes. I've, from what I've learned, yes. I made a purchase. I made a purchase um, that is Out opened. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one on the chin. Um, I'll, I'll take this five euros on the chin. Um, I bought Tony Schumacher's autobiography, which translated into English is called uh, Blowing I'm the Whistle. the Geek. Well, I'll stop though. I have a long, I have a long relationship with this book. The first time I came across this book was in a skip twenty years ago. I just share a gaff with a guy uh, in Dublin during the just kind of just in the teeth of the Celtic Tiger, really. I suppose you could say. And at that time, there was an awful lot of places would be getting gutted. Excuse me, say that again. At that time, there would have been a lot of places getting gutted and a lot of skips and a lot of stuff. Anyway. He tended to go around and um, walk past. If you saw a skip, he'd have a look in because there'd always be a few books and he'd pull them out. This book got pulled out of a skip and we spent, keeping in mind that we were annoying students at the time, we got a good six months laughing at bits out of this book. Uh, and then it disappeared off into wherever. And I found it, I found it online and the quote on the front should tell you all you need to know. If you like your sports books spicy and full of controversy, then get your hands on this, says Tommy Doherty. Now, oh. I would say I would say the doc knows his way around a spicy book. Like, this is one of these classic, you know those penguin paperbacks that fit in one hand, in the palm of your hand? Yes. This is one of these. 
It's, um, it's one of those, if you were backpacking through Peru and you shoved a book down the side of your bag, that's the one, that's isn't it? That's the one. That's the one. You got it, Rob. No, this was published in 1988, okay? And the upshot of this book was Tony Schumacher's removal from the German football team. So there are things in this and issues that we will discuss from this book that were controversial at the time and no doubt remain controversial to this day. But mm. it's Tony's book, Tony's Don't words. Sue Tony. Um, and because it's 1988, it's more about the 86 World Cup. But of course, there are issues that he has to address from the 1982 World Cup, which we'll get to another time. But one of the things that he talks about is their preparations for the 82 World Cup right. and the training camp that they went on. Now, I'm going to try and keep this short. It's going to be very hard, but you can tell me to shut up whenever you're getting bored. Um, they went to a place called Schluckse. Now, previously to this, German training camps had a reputation, particularly in the late 70s for the World Cup, for that, for that World Cup in 78, as being a bit, bit too military and a bit barracky and like, you know, no TV, no this, no that, no whatever. So Jupp Derval, who Schumacher maintains in his book, did not have the respect of the players because he was just too bloody pally decided that they would take it down a notch. The lads that had a long Bundesliga season, some of them coming in from Italy, Schumacher, or sorry, um, Rummenigge wasn't quite fit. Let's just relax, you know. So they went mm. to this place, Schluckse. They stayed in a, tour, a tourist resort where they did their pre-tournament training. But literally, there was tourists everywhere. So if they went for a run in the woods or whatever the hell they were doing, there was tourists standing around watching them doing this. Uh, they were everywhere. So that's point number one. But that's not really the point. Um, in time, Schluckse got renamed by the players themselves as Schluckse. Now, I can't speak German, but essentially we're talking about the changing of one letter from H to K. And that change turns Schluckse into Schluckse, which means liquor lake. This okay. was, this was like. That took a turn. This um, was like, if you can, if, if I could, if I'm I could, on booking.com now looking for <laughs> looks like. <laughs> uh, if you could, you if may you could, also want to find. <laughs> yeah. And let me just get the name of the hotel because, of course, you'll want to go there, won't you? We're talking like literally weeks before they're out on the field against Algeria. This is, this is early June. This is early wow. June. Um, so off they go. Off they go to the Hetzel Hotel. That's the name yes. of the place if you want to look it up. I'd imagine it might still be there. The Hetzel Hotel. Um, in terms of football training camps, Schumacher and others make this sound a little bit like a Rolling Stones tour from the early 70s. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's got everything going on. Um, he writes extensively about it in the book. Um, and he bases a lot of it on the return to the squad of the great Paul Breitner. Um, who we haven't really talked about enough so far oh, yeah. in this podcast. And yeah, I think we probably we will come to him again. There'll be, yeah, there'll be other games, yeah. I'm going to give you a reading from the Book of Schumacher. This is about... This is the first reading from the Book the, of Schumacher. The first reading, because should I can... We, say, should we be more solemn as we do that? A reading from the Book of Schumacher. A reading from the Book of Schumacher. Uh, I think you'll find... And I, I, we could we could experiment this another day, but I think you could give me a, a, a number... Right. And mm. I could go to that page and I will find something interesting on any page in this book. Right. But mm. that's for another day. Uh, Breitner like comes that. back in. Schumacher makes the point that Breitner is such a strong character. He takes over straight away. He says, Rummenigge, even though he's the leader, he's the captain, he's a quieter, more reserved guy. And as I said, Derval just doesn't really have the respect of the players, even though he's very, he's actually quite popular with them. But it's just, you know, he's just too soft. 
I'd imagine any manager that lets you go on this time. <laughs> oh yeah, pre-tournament camp is popular with the players. Oh, they love them. Uh, so here we go. So this is this is Tony Schumacher uh, talking about first of all about about uh, which he, he describes the build-up to the World Cup was for me a real nightmare. He said, and then he talks about uh, about uh, Breitner on the field. He said he displayed extraordinary energy, amazing vitality, but unfortunately he wasn't such a good example off the field. He smoked right. like a chimney played poker and drank like a fish. And not only did he rule the roost during playing and training, he continued to lead the way the rest of the time as well. It was inevitable that the weakest and worst players in the team should follow his example. It was the easy way out. Now, so we have Breitner at the leader of the pack, right? Now we move on to the sub-goalie, Ike Immel. My reserve, says Schumacher, was already addicted to poker. You often saw him pull out a fistful of banknotes from an inside pocket, or else, if he'd been taken to the cleaners, he would throw himself onto his bed in a fit of depression. The stakes, this is now in the poker games at Schluckse, were often as high as twenty or 30,000 marks. Other members of the team would live it up until the early hours and turn up for training on their knees. Uh, there was a nightclub nearby that apparently the lads just went nuts. Uh, there are others who were the local reporters who... who who would have I just reported. want to get a bit of an underbed here for you. Yes. Keep going. Thank you. Uh, th- that would have um, would have reported on this and said they just lived in the nightclub. Oh yeah, baby. Others were drinking so much neat whiskey they were virtual alcoholics. Breitner almost always joined in on everything, but unlike all the other players, you couldn't fault his performance on the field the next day. He never dropped a pass or lost a tackle. It was crazy. Whereas his drinking companions could hardly walk a straight line, let alone play football. <laughs> Which was why, at the time, it wasn't so much Paul Breitner as the others who made me angry. Breitner, a Bavarian, could hold his drink as well as Franz Joseph Strauss, <laughs> the political leader of his native province. Strauss is another who can drink and party until dawn, and then only a couple of hours later, he'll give a two-hour speech or any notes while everyone else is still in bed with a terrific hangover. That's Bavarian robustness for you. Uh, and on and on he goes. At one point, it got so bad that Schumacher rang his manager and said, come and get me, I want to go home. What's happening here has nothing to do with World Cup training. It's all hell let loose. The worst chaos I've ever seen. This was no exaggeration. He writes, after his we'd refer to Schluckse, where the training camp was as Schluckse, which means Liquor Lake. There was no discipline. The standard of behaviour was appalling. I didn't want to have anything to do with it and spent most of the time in my room. Incredible stuff. Um, so they just went on the lash. They went on the lash. Um, there's actually a book having has just come out in Germany based yeah. on the events at Schluckse. The guy's written a fiction book about a murder, but he's re- he's saying the cause of the murder was something to do with what happened with the West German team playing. Mm. This guy was a local journalist in this area, and he reported All on characters fictionalised, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. Very much so. But uh, you can find, it's amazing, because you can find photographs of them um, playing, uh, or sorry, you can find photographs of them training, and the people are right up with them. It's it's crazy. Um so yeah. Did you find watching the game, Mick, after because you sent me on some of those quotes, just I look at the whole team differently. Do you know what I mean? They're like they they're they're imposing enough looking fellas as it is, but now I'm just like, I just can't watch it the same way anymore. Well, just... I'll tell you what has struck me, and it's something that Schumacher says in the book. They did not believe they were going to win the nineteen eighty two World Cup. They could not see, he could not see a way that Germany were going to win that World Cup. So it's now there's a different feel for me to them as well. Um, and they are absolute, but they're animals in this game. No, I mean animals, animals. In, the, in the best possible sense. I mean, they're brutally physical, but they also play at a speed 
and with a uh, with yeah. a with a level of intensity and skill that the, the Chileans just cannot live with. Like, and and that was where I was about to come in and go. Aren't these supposed to be our pantomime villains? Yeah, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Why did I enjoy Caroline's Rumenig's third goal so much? Why did I enjoy yeah. some of the back heels in the middle of the field? Yeah. Why did I enjoy Pierre Lipbarski? Yes, dominating yes. on the wing. Uh, I was kind of going. I'm supposed to. These are the these are the bad guys of this World Cup. And then to really go and blow it, they take the aforementioned Brightner off and introduced a bright young thing named Lothar Mateus. And I was going, well, damn it! Now I have to like them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And this chili the underdogs and you're like go on put five more past them like you actually start to, you're rooting for another goal like what again though goalkeeping howlers like oh my god there was a, a bobby mims in this before bobby mims of good fortune about it that uh was almost comical yeah his second was a quintessential rumaniga goal downward forceful header um, but the third is the third is just sublime, and that this is Rumenega's third hat trick for Germany, and all three have come in this 81 82 season. Mad, he's, he is he's, in the form of his life. Lads, but he's also, tell me what kind of player he is, right? Because yeah. like, if Eddie Joe Padden was here, I'd want to know where he fits in. Just he, let's go. He's He's, he's a German captain and he has clearly taken the decision that we are not going to lose today. And if if we are going to play poorly, I'm not going to be part of that. He's he's European footballer of the year. Uh, and he's he is a forward player, but he in this game, he's coming back. He's getting ball everywhere. Like he's getting ball inside his own half, turning around and starting attacks and then finishing them up at the other end. Everything good goes through Rummenigge in this game. He's a great passer of the ball. He's he, like... You know they talk about German efficiency and all that kind of stuff. And and Kieran, you mentioned there's there is lovely flourishes of skill, but it's it is brilliant basics with these guys. They they have that classic German ability just to pick the right pass, make the simple pass, then move, get it again, and they they create space in this way. And Rumenega, Rumenega is another little little level above that. It's not that he's brilliant Brazilian in his brilliance or anything like that. It's a different type of brilliance. It's he's more like European brilliance. Between, he's like a cross between Chris Waddle and Gary Lineker. Oh, geez, that's a hard one to make. No, uh, you know, but he can do all the like he can play out on the wing. He can play through the middle. He's a mazy dribbler. But then in the box, he's an out now. He's like a striker. Yeah, I thought he was a striker in this game. And And the other thing to keep in mind is he is not fit. Like he still has a leg injury and this leg injury will dog him for years. He only passed a fitness test an hour before this game. It's a thigh muscle thing. And he's he's not a hundred percent, but I mean, he who cares? Like ten minutes in, as you say, first goal shot from distance just goes, just squeezes under the keeper. It's awful goal. But I mean, it's the worst mm. thing that happens for Chile. It's the best thing that happens for the Germans. But they just keep going. They're full of urgency. That Barsky is excellent. Uh, Manfred Kals, I think, on the right is very very good. Stieleken, the center defense is very good. All the names, Felix Magat on the left hand side, very good. They're all they're all starting to move and groove now. And they could have won this game 10-1. Like oh. this could have been the other absolute whipping. And yeah. again, to reiterate, because we spoke about this before, this is not a bad chili side. 
This no. is a Chile side that came to this World Cup with ambitions and they their ambitions are now in tatters after this game. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, it, they are a better team than this, but they just they just hit a, a very good German team who who are moving well. One of the one of the things and I've mentioned this a few times doing this doing this project is that when you go and you can you know, you, you have potted ideas of World Cups and and certain storylines dominate. But it's to mm. be able to go back, the ability to be able to go back and see where these storylines come from or how, how they evolve. Yeah. So one of the things I noticed, my friend Tony, in goals for Germany, the man does not like to stay in his line. He he is constantly wriggling inside his skin. And there are two episodes where There's he... portents of what's to come later in the tournament. Well, yes, that's... Yeah, my, like he, he's so quick off his line and so aggressive off his line. Like really aggressive. He does not care what damage he does to anything in his way. He, yeah. uh, about five minutes into the second half, there's a cross. Chile have brought on Letelier, who actually plays very well at centre forward. Uh, but he comes out and Schumacher, they both, they're both going for the ball. So in early 80s, Ireland, it is a 50-50. But they both kind of missed the ball. Schumacher takes Letelli out at the legs, but he gets injured himself. Schumacher gets injured. It hurts his chest, I think. But the ball skitters away. How it's not a penalty for Chile, I don't know, because Schumacher has taken him out of it. Now, the ball does arrive at the same time as the two boys clash, but the ball goes in between them, and you can see it goes straight out the other side, and Letelli is flattened on the ground. Then about about eight, eight, nine minutes later, he comes out and he volleys the ball away. Like, there's a ball floating in the air. He just comes out and he volleys it up the field. And you're like, okay, that's fine. But it's just this, as you say, it's just ferocious aggression. And it's in his back. We will come back to Schumacher. There will be more readings in the book of Schumacher to, to just to round out this guy because he comes from a very poor background. He comes from a background where he feels that nobody thinks he can make anything of himself. And I think there is, there is the roots of what happens at this World Cup are somewhere in all of that. Kieran, you you talk about the emergence of Lothar Mateus and, and he comes on in 61 minutes. But just before you talk a little bit more about that, he comes on for Paul Breitner, who seems to be like one of the bad guys in a movie where no one ever dies. You know those movies? You know where like he's like punching everyone, but they all kind of like are a bit groggy. He's like Batman TV show. You're, Breitner, you're, think, you're thinking of like MacGyver, are you? No one ever dies, you know, that the car gets flung in the air and all, once it's finished on, on its on its top, they all climb out the passenger windows. Yeah, he is that like but this He's is this is late era brightener. This is not the, the, the other players on the team have so much energy. Like when you give the reading from the book of Schumacher and describe Brightner as the leader in the group, you're kind of look going. Why is he held up as the leader within this group? Because he does not have the energy that other players are bringing to it. Right. Force of personality. Pure force of personality, I'd imagine, at this stage. years of age at this stage, yeah. I thought he played well in this game now. I, th- I thought he was very Until strong, no more than anybody busted. else now. I thought he was he was, he was was good. And then Lothar comes on uh, with a bit like a shaggy-haired Chachi from Happy Days. He's just got that kind of young, shaggy-haired look about him. He gives the ball away, but he runs around. He's fairly energetic. He's kind of a defensive midfielder in this, isn't he? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know? Lads, well, it's, I mean, it's pretty incredible to think. 1998 World Cup. Lunar Mateus is still playing. It's insane. Well, well, think of the World Cups he's had. So he started here. Okay. Yeah. In the next World Cup, he'll be marking Maradona in the World Cup final. 
Yeah. And then in the 1990 World Cup final, he was striding forward to score that goal against Yugoslavia and setting himself up as one of the best midfielders, if not the best midfielder in the world. That's eight years away from him. in the world in 1990. And by 1998, he's one of the best sweepers in the game. What a career. I mean, it's incredible. (laughs) Incredible. Um, But they're happy after this one. I mean, they're happy, but they're cautious. So Derval is like, we must take this victory as one step forward and convince ourselves we have to win against Austria. They, they still, they're not done yet. They've, they've won a game, but they still need, they still need the win against the Austrians now to kind uh, of nail that it That one's down. really boiling up as a cracker now, Ooh, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm so really looking forward to uh, listen, West the Germany, Austria, good old Central European derby. That one, it's, yeah, that, it's, that's got classic written all over it. It's, it's going to be nice. something else. I've just realized who killed Breitner. Did you see this? It was Schumacher. I didn't realize this when I watched it the first time. Schumacher comes coming out, like racing out from the line, exactly as you described, feet first yes. to get the Chilean. The man in between the Chilean and yes. himself is Breitner. It's Breitner. Boom. Yeah. Busted. Yeah. Yeah. Just to clarify, in case people are getting confused with Rob's TV analogy and actual real life, that's, that's actually in the game. He doesn't actually kill Breitner in a TV show. He kills him in a in a football game no that we've just watched, here, right? Okay, just yeah. let's, let's be clear. Well, I love the way he's he, he's he's on point. He's on point. <laughs> you gotta love that Murphy kid. He's on point. He knows he's something. I feel like I missed something. Yeah, he's sharp like a cat. Let's not worry about it. Let's not worry about it. We can we can fix it in the edit. Uh, you're you're going to fix it now, though, because you watched Spain and Yugoslavia, Rob. Oh, my God. Oh, well what done, Rob. Spain 2. Yugoslavia won. What a game. I mean, oh my God, what a game. Like it, it's so, so the one thing I think is missing from this World Cup, lads, and like Kieran, stop me if I'm wrong. There's not a lot of atmosphere in games. Some one or two games. Can, can you think of games that have had atmosphere? Brazil, Scotland by far. Brazil, the Brazil and Scotland game had a great atmosphere. The France game was loud. France game had a great France England game had a great atmosphere. Yeah, there's been a couple of decent games in this for atmosphere. Well, Go on. T- but like the home team should bring it. One little oh stat. God. One little Go stat, on. right? After 12 games, 306,000 people have watched the first 12 games, which is down on the last two World Cups at the same point. So right. To your point, Rob, there are less people coming through the gates to watch these matches, probably because of that appallingly screwed up ticketing policy that we spoke about at the top of the entire show. Not alone the ticketing, though, Mick, because the first 12 games of the previous World Cup would have been far more competitive. You didn't have 24 teams in it. True that. You didn't have your New Zealands and your Kuwaits and your El Salvadors and your Honduras. True that. You were probably getting a real bell ringer early on. In the twelve game, first twelve games in nineteen seventy eight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that's a lot. But this, this is like seven, no, eight Yugoslavian fans because they show them six times, and <laughs> forty seven thousand nine hundred and ninety two Spanish fans going potty. It's brilliant. Loved it. And the game starts, and it's just like so. One of the things we like about this is this World Cup is those moments where you're like, "Wait, I think I've found all the good stuff." Now we've done the research, we've watched a couple of rounds of games. I think I know everything, everything to come. Because like some of those second round games, surely are not going to blow our minds. But yeah. This one, this was such a surprise to me. Spain are supposed to be mm, whatever. Spain are the team that lose to Northern Ireland. That's all I 
pretty much know about them in this World Cup. But this was like it's not that they Thanks were unbelievable. I, I, I hadn't looked ahead to the I won't have to round. bother watching that episode now. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Sugar. Anyway, never mind. I mean, I was talking nonsense. But like, the, 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 first of all, they go behind what looks like a handball. Here's how I know it's a handball because we're watching it off video footage. I mean, mother of God, like you can't really analyze it. But you just know by the reaction of every single Spanish player. They're not all suddenly going, just I might claim a handball and that might save that. There's, it, there's no doubt no, in I'm, my mind. I'm not with you on this, Rob. I'm, I'm looking at sure. that going. That is, this Spanish team have got the atmosphere in the stadium. They've got the fans behind them. This is an attempt to get a goal disallowed by that referee because no, uh, no. It, it's such a let's that that's a that's the guy that you see in a GA match call him wide when the point has gone over the black spot. The, go- the first goal, good, I get it. But if you watch him celebrating, he's like, because the screen, the camera or the director holds on him for ages. And like, you can see he's like, yeah, yes. He's like, keeps going, yes, it's a great goal. I'm so happy. And you just know the psychology of it. It's like, yeah, I'm not sure I even care that I just cheated there. I don't care. All that. That's what I think. That's what I think. Uh, if can... we're going to concede that the referees missed that one. Well, oh yeah. He this doesn't is, exactly like, cover himself in glory in this game. Let's be honest. This is absolutely evening it up. I don't know. Like it's an Irish sport thing. Some hopefully many of our listeners are from around the world and hello world. But like I it's it, it we say in our sport a lot of times, Ari was evening it up there. I, I presume the world knows this as well. The referee was absolutely going, Oh my god, I might have just given a goal against a host nation that might knock them out. And it was a handball, so I better give them a penalty. I said, like, you know what I should do next? <laughs> I should award a penalty for a foul outside the box. There's no TV cameras here. There no. isn't any people in the building. Nobody's going to notice that I haven't got a scooby what I'm doing. It's a complete, it's such a bad, bad decision. Miguel Alonso is the Spanish player. Miguel Alonso, by the way, who's Xabi Alonso's dad, uh, goes skittering down. I'd say he falls outside and falls into the box. And the Yugoslavs are incensed, as you would be, you know. But it's a penalty. But worse to come. Worse to come. Because yes. the, penalty, the penalty, the ball is put on the spot. Uh, and the shot is taken. Hang on, who was it? Juanito, was it or someone? Yes. Juanito. 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 So the ball is put on the spot. Juanito, the Real Madrid player, takes the shot uh, and he misses it really badly but the referee calls them back the Danish referee calls them back because the to be fair the goalkeeper has come off his line so far he could nearly tie Juanito's laces by the time he's he's actually striking the ball so put him back down reload put him back up against the wall again and this time of course he scores the goal so dodgy penalty retaken penalty one all yes. and off we go again yeah and it's look, there's there's the tackles again. I just I like there it is such a tetchy game. There are some absolute brutal tackles. The Yugoslavs have obviously come out to really get stuck in, but the Spanish are like, we're not backing down. Yeah. Here on. I'm just gonna, you know, and we do this frequently. You look up who is the referee in this game? Oh good. Henning Lund Sorensen, a retired Danish football referee from Arus is known for having refereed one match in the 1982 FIFA World Cup in Spain. How many times already, and we're at day eight, have we heard the 
refereed one match. You're busting them Let's try another one. Let's we, try this guy. And we kind of like, know... They're like prime ministers in England, if, if that reference is going to work when you listen to this. <laughs> and we kind of know that, I mean, today is bad. Tomorrow's going to be worse on this front. Like, it's, mm. not, been, it's not been a great... Uh, tournament for their old refs so far like it's it's no it's 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 not good but you know what's kind of struck me actually just I mean the quality of the game the quality of the game was terrific but the quality of the goals was actually probably not reflective of the game itself no. Rob is that fair? No that's absolutely it. it but you see the reason like you know this is not Brazil like uh, Scotland or whatever Brazil Soviet oh, Union which is probably be the best game so far certain this is not Brazil Scotland <laughs> it's not Brazil Soviet <laughs> Union but it, it this is like two teams are probably you know B level quality playing at a hundred miles an hour so yeah. instead of like it being like you know in those days an old FA Cup first round game between two like non-league teams you know like it's like oh let's just go for it but they're actually got a lot of quality so it has moments of unbelievably good football but mainly it's just like what's happened now like the retaking penalty all the drama that but even what I loved about it too and uh, Kieran would appreciate me uh, shouting out the director but the director of this game does such a good job he gets some great shots of the crowd and at one stage too he gets a shot of Queen and Sarah warming up just a minute or two before they come on and five minutes later they combine to save Spain's World Cup and I just Uh, like that's drama that yeah they save Spain's World Cup there's no question and the place rocks to its foundations (laughs) as a consequence Mm -hmm. yeah but that is a grave injustice Uh, on the whole on the balance of play Yugoslavia deserved to win this game yeah yes Um, they played the better football they had the better opportunities and I do think when you see the penalty incident and how blatantly outside the area it was yes um they would have deserved at least a point from this, yeah. which is what's being denied to them. And that point would have them, you know, now don't get me wrong, because they've already got the point in the bag from the Northern Ireland game. They're, they're still in the mix. Well, unless Northern Ireland's going to go and beat Spain, Carol. I mean, come on. Come but on. They deserve Apparently to you've got some inside line on that, Rob, judging no, by I what you were saying I earlier. Being, I was being ironic. They, they, oh, they deserve sorry. to beat Spain here, which would have been seismic. I agree, Karen. Sorry, I was reading all my notes from a Spanish football computer from 1982. Of course they deserve to be Spain. Of course they did. They, like, they hit straight off to Spain at the penalty. They hit the crossbar and there's like a save from, uh, who's, who's your goalkeeper? Arcanada. I mean, yeah. it's just, oh, like actually, it could well be one of the best saves to work up. I'm going to put it in there. Uh, on, on the, um, we talked about the aggressive nature of the West Germans. Yes. When I was watching this game, do you remember a guy called the Butcher of Bilbao? I yes. sure do. I had to Google what his career was because there was a couple of tackles in this. There was no commentary on the version I watched. Right. Uh, and and I had to Google, like, was he playing in this game? Because there were some robust agricultural it's, challenges in this game. You see, we're so far now from this era of Spanish football. And we've, we thought we touched on this in the first episode. I think that, you know, you know, the, the kind of the big two of Real Madrid and Barcelona as global superpowers, this, this was not that era. I mean, Miguel Alonso, mm. who was fouled for that penalty that I mentioned, Zabi's dad, like he won two leagues with Real Sociedad and he actually went to Barcelona after this World Cup and didn't do much. So it's, it's that era. It's a very domestic era. And it's also an era when, when Spain were known for being brutally physical. 
I mean really, really physical. And we'll see it in this game, and we're, go- we're going to see it in the next game as well, by the way. But, uh, yeah, it's not tiki-taka. This is not the era of tiki-taka. I don't like it. This is, this is you kind of, you you kind of, uh, what, you, what would you say? You win your battle before you start to play your football. You know, you, you, you earn, you basically batter the, the opposition into submission before then you start to play. The, if tiki-taka is the matador in control in Spanish football, this is this period when the bull's in charge. Oh, yeah. Oh, very nicely done. See what he did there, Rob? Nice. That's nice. I, I, you see, yeah, the, like, I mean, we have him on for this. That, and obviously when you start talking about graphics, those are oh, yeah, the two reasons. Graphic stuff. Oh, yeah, I do enjoy really. talking about yeah. graphics. Do you know what? I'd say, I'd say it must kill him that we don't see the close and credits in these matches. No, exactly. He actually probably has his own feed. He's probably paid five yeah. or six grand to get an official feed. I'm on just... IMDb trying to find out who directed <laughs> <laughs> Who directed him? <laughs> sending him, s- sending him congratulations. S- sending him letters of congratulations 40 years later. You did a great job on that uh, El Salvador Hungary game, I have to say. This may n- never make the main part of our podcast, but just if, if it, like, Kieran, can you give me some context of Spanish football at times. So I'm trying to make sense of this, what well, this we, we, moment We went through it meant. kind of pretty well the last day. Like this is, <laughs> this is the period when Real Sociedad are top dogs uh, and they're doing so with a fully Basque team. Like Juanito is the only Real Madrid player in this team. So I'm just thinking that this is Valencia, right? And and the colour in the atmosphere is, is is superb. But is this one of the first times in decades that Spanish football has been showcased like this? You know, like we've grown up in a time when Spain have these big moments all the time. But it, it just felt like this is, a, like the Honduras game obviously fell flat in its face. But this is a real occasion. And yes, they robbed Yugoslavia. And yes, they got a rotten decision or two. But that was the moment for them to lodge themselves in the World Cup. Look, it's been 20 years roughly since the glory days of Spanish football. Right. But you also have to bear in mind that this is the first major tournament they hold post-dictatorship, post-Franco. Okay. So it's, it's, you know, it's very definitely a national celebration. Now, this is not a country that's, that's fully calm either. I mean, a month before, you know, uh, a Basque has tried to assassinate Pope John Paul. You know, the second time in a year someone's tried to kill him. And and it's it's a basket that's done it. You know, there's there's all these things that are going on in the background. Later on in the year there's an attempted coup. But I'd imagine if that's the landscape and we talked previously about, you know, that it's not a developed nation. They're not in the European Union yet. You know, I'd say the fans just want to have a party. Yeah. And cause for one. Yeah, it does feel that way. It does feel that way. And look, they know the team is limited. They're not. I don't think expectations are very high around the team. Spain already. I mean, I think they'd won. They'd won one European Championship to this point, and that was at home. And it was when the European Championships was a much even a smaller affair than there were. You know, when when there were an eight team operation. Well, it, it was smaller kind of, than that. So you know, you, know. If you got to the final, you got to host it type thing. It was yeah, it was a long. Yeah, it was like that. So like, I mean, they don't have. They don't have that tradition and they already had the reputation of being a little bit underachieving in terms of their football prowess at international level. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right here. And I, I, I think it's just a chance to let fly. They're after spending a stupid amount of money on stadia that they haven't even barely finished. So, I mean, you know, what the hell are you going to do? Crack one open and kick back and have some fun, like, you know. 
they didn't have a lot of time really to uh, sort this out though, Mick. You know, they only knew about the World Cup in 1966. So you've got to give them a bit of a break, really. Um, so yeah, 1966. We've said it already. I just have to repeat it on multiple occasions. That's when they get, get, got them the host. And, just, and, they were just, still, I, I, and they were still painting walls the day before I matches. Like. But that's, I bring that up specifically because there's another note from the Daily Mirror shorts here. Joe Havelage, the FIFA president, warned last night that Colombia may yet lose the 1986 World Cup. That's the next one. They're not talking about the 1998 or whatever they'd be awarding if they kept the whole format going. And he hinted uh, he hinted that America, Argentina or Brazil were ready to step in. Funny Mexico weren't mentioned there. But anyway, the funny thing there was Mexico ultimately step in because they've so recently held the World Cup and had the infrastructure in place. You couldn't have predicted that there'd be a major earthquake just weeks before the tournament, which is what... Something to laugh. Terrible thing to happen. Yeah, it was was terrible. But I mean, the Mexicans still managed to pull that off. Like that, that was the real miracle of 86 World Cup. And we'll get to it eventually, four years time. But I mean, (laughs) yeah, because we're not watching the number. It gets moved to Mexico. The Mexicans suffer terrible tragedy. And yet they pull off an utterly memorable World Cup. Rob, one last thing on Yugoslavia, right? Yes. Um, Billy Bingham makes the point in the paper, obviously because they're all in the one group. He's he's asked he he's asked about the final set of games, and he says that yes, the Yugoslavs brilliantly technical players, as we know, the Brazil of the Balkans and all that. But he makes the point that he reckons that they lack heart, and that they could actually they could fold in the last game, or they they could maybe not 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 do what they need to do. Like in this game, like was that. There was it just when it came to it in a raw atmosphere? Was it just that the Spanish willed it their way in the end? I'm glad it- you said that. No, I felt after that goal, that first goal, there was a real energy. I mean, a celebration is a celebration. What do you expect? There's people not going to be hugged, but there was just something about this. I'm interested in how teams react in moments, and that's where I was getting at with the with the complaints about the goal and all that. Yeah. And it. You know, there are different types of celebrations, but this was all a running back to their own half, hugging, jumping, kind of losing the run of themselves. And and what I like about it is they're like, come on, just get back at it now. Let's go. And mm-hmm. I think this you flip that on its head. If you look at their reaction to the Spanish goal, it's utter devastation. They're they're not complaining that the referee, they're just looking at each other. A few players have lost their man. Kieran uh, said it, it's a bad goal uh, to concede. Really scrappy and everyone goes to sleep. And I think, I, I actually really, my heart sunk for them a little bit in that moment, to be honest. Yeah, because it's a game like Safa Susic mm. plays terrifically well. Mm. Uh, Schlievo is another, though, that little trio in midfield. Mm. Again, it goes back to that thing, and we had it in 1990 as well with, with the with the Yugoslav team. That time, obviously, different circumstances politically and all that going on at the time. But like this idea of this magnificent group of players, this technically wonderful group of players. But how can they? How can they gel it all together to get it out of themselves? And now we're another World Cup. First two games, drawn one, lost one. Okay, maybe they and maybe they come out of it going, eh, you know what? We've got Honduras oh, as our last game. Like, I'm convinced you know, of that. I'm convinced yeah. they f- figured themselves. We got the job done against Northern Ireland. We will beat Honduras by, uh, you know, more than you know Northern Ireland will. I think at this stage they obviously know uh, like what they have to do. So yeah, I'd say they're going. Yeah, we've got this. We know yeah. where we're at. Uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with that theory? Right, we've got to get to team of the day. Mick, I mean, like this actually has, some of our teams today just blow your mind, usually when Brazil are playing, but this one has kind of got a like, hmm, they could go far. They could yeah. go far. 
this has got a good solid European kind of they play Brazil. You're you're looking at it going, they go fine, but yeah, a bit of flair could undo them all right at the back. Mm. But it's a good, solid sort of Anglo German team with a touch of this, that, and the other about it as well, you know. So mm. um I'm thinking, like, I mean, if you look the goalies are fun actually, because like you can't put the Chilean goalie in there because yeah. he just had a nightmare. No. The Czech goalkeeper had a nightmare. Tony Schumacher yeah. is already out kicking lads, so we can't yeah. have him. Um Arcanada made a glorious save. One glorious save for Spain. I think that's enough. Yeah. 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 That's that's a no contest. Yeah. 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 Back forward in, lads. I thought Manfred Kals out on the right hand side was excellent for West right. Germany. Manfred yep. Kals, by the way, who when I was doing my Schluckse uh, research, popped up a couple of times wearing a very fetching pair of speedos. I have said, man, who wear speedos, I tell you. Um, okay. so Kals, I would suggest. Ooh, um, sorry, Uli Stielicke, Real Madrid, of course, at the time, played very, very well, I thought. Oh, yeah. Um, and, I mentioned that in the commentary. And Butch, Terry Butcher. Kieran, by any chance, mm. by any chance, mm. would you have an Uli Stielicke profile in shoot or anything like that? It's funny you should say that, Michael, but in the shoot issue of 17th of July, 1982, he has the back page to himself. Hot now, damn. in true shoot fashion, it was actually released two weeks before the 17th of July. <laughs> but uh, good old Uli, Real Madrid and West Germany. Um, you see, people think we don't prepare for this stuff. But you see the way oh, yeah. I just did that link there? Wasn't yeah. that just seamless? Exactly. It's like we were just having a conversation. I just said, you wouldn't just have that. It wasn't like... What kind of car just... do you reckon he had at the time? Um, I would say... Uh, a Caprigia. Big old star playing with Real Madrid in La Liga. Ooh. Over oh, and about the place in a Ford Fiesta. Ford Granada, I was going to say. An open Ford Fiesta. Ford Fiesta. Lovely jubbly. Oh, here. Hang on now. Is this one of these classic fact files? It's like one of these ones. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's a super All focus. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's here a we go. Like, I, do you right. want to play a game? There's, yes. only, there's only three things I want to know. So we can play a game, but there's only three things I want to know. Three match me. We still have to mention the Pre-match team of the day. Let me see. Let's keep going. Pre-match meal. I eat very little before games. Maybe a small slice of steak. Ah! No chips, though. All the chips. All right. Um, uh, music. Favourite musician? Favourite singer? George Benson? No. Uh, Neil, Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond. Uli <laughs> like a forever in blue jeans by... And do they have person I'd most like to meet? This is good. No, sadly. I have a backup. Miscellaneous likes and dislikes. Oh, (laughs) you know your super I know my shoot profiles. I know my shoot profiles. Miscellaneous likes and dislikes. Watching films, playing tennis, though I don't have much time. And I hate injustice. (laughs) <laughs> he's obviously rooming with Paul Reitner tremendous <laughs> tremendous my favourite one of those friend was a difficult decision but you have to friend. say his brother Manfred and brother best friend my favourite of all time uh, shoot profiles I think it was shoot might have been match doesn't really matter uh, Swedish defender called Robert I'm going to say Pritz or Pritz Robert Pritz Pritz yeah played for Rangers Person I'd most like to meet, the Pope. 
in the 80s. Good man, Rob. Oh, Good man, Robert. Brave. That was great. <laughs> so we got Steelica in the back four anyway. Butch beside him. Happy? Yeah. yeah. I liked Kenny Sansom. I, I thought he played very well Ooh. this particular day. We never yeah. thought in a team of the day World Cup we'd have him in, but he's done it. Good work. That was a great Frank Spencer impression as well. <laughs> that seals the deal for me. That, but that's I for that's for Euro '88. One day a picture of Terry Butcher <laughs> celebrating in the background. In the goal there. Look at that. Butch is such a young man at this. Like he's Isn't partnering it? Phil Thompson. I think it's their. I think Butcher says after the game it's their fourth time only playing together, and usually in his view it takes about eight games to kind of really get to know each other as a partnership. Like Tomo, we'll come back to this again. But Thompson, like, is at an interesting stage of his career because he's fighting with Adam Hansen, Mark Lawrence, and staying that Liverpool team. So mm-hmm. you know, it's it's an interesting time. Um, will I start the midfield, Rob? Will I just throw the yes, ball in? Yes, oh, keep going. You're on the roll. Um, right side midfield's got to be Pierre Litbarski from Germany, West yeah. Germany. Superb. Um, yeah. and I know Rob, you like this one. By the way, sorry, Kieran, any objections? Sorry, to Litbarski? sorry, just to go back, Terry Butcher, who was one of the Ipswich Town players who did not play a German in Escape to Victory. <laughs> uh, he didn't play anybody. No, he, 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 apparently they were shorn of the defensive services of the newly wedded Terry Butcher. Ah, so he missed this. out on playing a German in Escape to Victory while his Ipswich teammates did so so manfully. We still threaten to one day do a whole podcast about Escape to Victory. Well, and that might, be, might be a he, game changer. Even poor John Wark who had to be dubbed afterwards because no one could understand what he was saying. <laughs> and if you actually watch Escape to Victory, it's still kind of hard to understand what the guy who did John Wark's voice is saying. Um, midfield, your old buddy, Wolfgang Dremler, Rob, I think oh, yeah. has to be in there. The enforcer. The enforcer. The equaliser. Um, what about Susic or someone from Yugoslavia beside him? No, I think we, I think Susic. It's, it's Just, not one of those days where... You're wedded to him, but I do think he played a good game. That's it. In a game yeah. that they should have won. That's it. And I want to pick someone from there. They they should be recognised for their efforts in this game. Yeah. Um, fighting over the left wing. There's like, like weirdly no outstanding candidates, but F- Felix Magat. Magat. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Better known now so. to younger fans as a manager, but. Yes, he was a fine left-sided footballer in his day, mm. and on this particular day, more, more, more than that, more than many, he was very, very good. Yeah, Rumaniga has to be up front, so that that leaves one other. I'm going to say Trevor Francis. I yeah. very well, you know. Are we are we down a midfielder? Have we missed a midfielder? Oh, we've got Litbarski, Dremler, Susic, Magat. That's our four. Oh, yeah, we're, yeah, being, yeah. we're being very we're being very conservative actually because all these teams, by the way, are playing sweepers and all sorts of things, but yeah. we're not we're, we're, yeah. we're not going there. None of that stuff. Strictly no, no. four four two for your That's... one day at a time crew. <laughs> yeah. Rumaniga and, and potatoes. Meat and potatoes. And are we happy with Trevor Francis? I, I, oh, I'll take that one. No. Yeah. I think yeah. so, yeah. He's, he's, That's your team. You know, like actually to to be fair, like Francis I was looking looking him up earlier on. I didn't realise, you know, that either side of his one million pound transfer. Like he played twelve calendar months each year. He used to go on loan to the NASL. What? Where his scoring statistics, by the way, are outrageous. In his first season in the NASL, he scored twenty-two goals in nineteen games. Jesus! Uh, and then returned to Birmingham, and then halfway through that Birmingham season, moves to Forest. You know, and it, 
like he probably scores the most important goal in Nottingham Forest history for all that people Indeed. go on about that he wasn't a huge success there. Then yes. he has that Achilles injury which costs him his place in the 1980 European Championship. So, you know, you're looking at this and you're going, fair play to him. You're like, he's he's finding form oh, yeah. at the right time. And he is going to, you know, after this, he will have a career in Italy and he will have a career back in England again as a, as a manager and a player manager yeah. uh, in the First Division Premier League. So, I mean, he has a great career. I'm just after counting up there, just out of curiosity, lads, we picked six Germans in that 11 and we didn't Ooh, do it consciously. Right. Like, it wasn't. Villains we of our absolutely did not do that on purpose. And, but we didn't. And But like, it just tells you, it just yeah. tells you, they're back, I like baby. When we, they're back. Yeah. We, I like when we were like, after the Algeria game, we were like, they're going to be the villains and how did they even turn it around and blah, blah, blah. I mean, look. They're I'd gonna say have... for the rest of this tournament, we're going to love them. I can't fact, see anything I'm wrong. predicting now that yeah. we're going to fall so in love with them for the game against Austria. them to play champagne football and roll on into the next round. And the Austrians we? have nothing to lose. Well, they have something to... Never mind. All right, that's it for today. Tomorrow it's Algeria, Austria. Uh, we're looking forward to that one. France, Kuwait. Ooh, can France save their World Cup? Hope surely they can. And Honduras, Northern Ireland. I know I would like to watch that one. I'm sure it's going to be a classic. Kieran, before we go, you want to say something? I, I think like we're going to have another character in this series going forward. Yes. I think the book of Schumacher... Will become the latest member of the team, and if that is going to be so, I'm going to find myself some Germanic hymnal music yes. that we can play <laughs> underneath Mick every time he quotes from the great Tony Schumacher. Yes, you're going to go oh, looking for it from an editing point of view. I like it. Or you could go and look for his favorite German rock singer at the time was a guy called yes. Peter Maffrey. I'm not, I'm not going to say his favourite German rock singer of the time was Johnny Logan. Spanish? <laughs> Peter Maffrey, I've got it here. Peter Maffrey. So I, I don't know. Um... 15 million listens, lads. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, no, we'll go with the hymnal music. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, and I tell you, I, I will be coming back to that book. I will also be coming back to Schluckse. I feel like I have only skimmed the waters, the, the top of the waters of Schluckse. For stories, oh, the I, lake I'm, of liquor. The lake of liquor. I've only <laughs> supped lightly. You are the, the messiah of, of the lake of liquor. You walk <laughs> upon it. I have only, I have only supped the froth at the top of the lake of liquor. <laughs> I, I will, I will return. I will return with more. I am confident. Paul Breitner, in his book, uh, post World Cup book, called um, a player Rinders, uh, who came on in the Chilean game. He just He's referred to him as. The, yes, he did. He and a lovely goal it was. You just referred to him as the smoker in his book. So I, I think there's more here. I, I, I feel I kind of feel guilty and bad that I didn't know about this for the Algerian game. So now I'm going to go way beyond the Call of Duty here to find out more about Schluckse. But in the meantime, right, I want to experiment. I want to experiment. Uh, you're you're literally, you're turning Schluckse into your Oktoberfest, I think. It is my Oktoberfest. It is. It is <laughs> lovely. Now, I want to experiment, right? There are 214 pages in the Tony Schumacher book. I yes. want to experiment to see if we just pick one, and this is random, okay? Yeah. Let's just pick a random around. page, yeah, and let's see if I can find a line. Doesn't have to be hilarious, random, but a line that will make you want to read on, right? right. So, lads, one of you just pick a note in one and two hundred. I'm going to make this like properly random, right? So I'm going to random.org. Make how many pages did you say? Two hundred and fourteen. Right. So a number between. 
one and two hundred and fourteen uh, numbers. People My are making money pages. off of That's the pages. So using the, the old uh, random dot arc. One hundred and seventy-five. One hundred and seventy-five. Let's see what he had to say for himself. Okay, I'm going to give you two lines. As I say, this is out of context, but it, let me let me ask you: Would you read on after this? There were embarrassed faces at the party. It's Tony getting his revenge on my husband for not letting him play in the match against Baldorf Mannheim, said Mrs. Vyand. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, not, alone I, not alone would I read on, I, I develop a board game based on it. I could have actually it, stopped that. It, it, there it were embarrassed like, faces at it, the party. It, it, it would be like footballing Cluedo. <laughs> This is, lads, I cannot believe, right? I cannot believe that the first time I came across this book was in a skip. This is the kind of book you need to be bequeathing to your descendants, <laughs> not throwing it away. It's quite shocking, actually. This there book were should be in the library in Trinity party. College alongside the Book of Kells. Damn right. I'd say it's in the library in Cologne alongside whatever their equivalent of the Book of Kells is. Mick has been doing some phenomenal research for this podcast all the way along. I feel like he's now just given up and it'll just be the book of Schumacher I've from just, here on. Uh, that's me done. I've, done. I've, I've, I've taken it I've taken as far <laughs> as I can, Rob, in terms of holding on to whatever job I have left. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to use this book now. My Every single God. game, this is all in Raven. Right. Schumacher blowing the whistle. It's a, it's I, a I really hope itself. Scotland stay in this tournament so I can keep quoting the We Made Them Angry book. <laughs> But yeah, they're in Scotland. or out, I don't see there's any reason why you can't, to be honest no. with you. So. And Scotland making the second round is fairly straightforward stuff. Right, that's it from us. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Adios. Adios.